we don't think about the celebration enough. Amen? There are trials here. God's working them out for good, eternal good. Thank you, Desi and Mark. Just want to bring a few things to your attention. The care for Cuba. Not too long, and they're going to be going. If you have an old uh, piece of electronic equipment, a phone, computer, or if you want to make a donation, we don't go backwards when we advance the cause in foreign fields. We go forward, and I just want to encourage you. Also, the Amazon luncheon that will happen following this meeting. If you have any interest at all in going or supporting, please uh, slip over and find Rob and B and learn a little bit more about that ongoing mission there. And weren't you encouraged to hear about the kids with AFM that were facilitated through your gifts? You know, um, when you give to the combined budget, you're supporting a baseline of ministries, many ministries. And it was wonderful to have just a little bit of money to say, you know what? We can handle the postage to get those things where they need to go. It wasn't cheap, but it was worth it. And how many seeds are sown? I don't know, but I am rejoicing in that report. Thank you, Sherry and the AFM team. And then also you heard Pastor Andy pray for Jeff Powell. Jeff is very seriously ill. And uh, if there are a few elders here that could join me uh, with a flexible schedule to anoint him, I think maybe today still. But Jeff is in an induced coma, very serious brain infection. And your prayers for him and for the two daughters and the other friends and families will matter so much. God is listening, and we don't know how it's going to work out for good, but we trust the promise. In the meantime, we need the support. And then lastly, uh, when I heard Sherry mention the student missionaries, you know, friends, we don't talk about it enough, but there are plenty of young people who need to know God needs them. We have schools in the Marshall Islands that are closing down because there's not enough student missionaries. <laughs> they close one down and they tried to start it back up. But starting it back up was a lot harder than they thought and they didn't get a lot of their students back. There are unreached people groups with AFM. We have more than one way to go as a student missionary. I'm appealing to you. If you know someone, sow the seeds, start praying. And uh, I'm rejoicing that uh, my daughter is going to be at SM next year and I'm encouraging some others to go with her. So um, praise God for the call of Jesus that he would use you and use me. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how you're going to move on people's hearts today, but I know that you're moving and the great purpose of telling the good news of who you are and that people can have better lives, change lives, lives where their past is forgiven and and the present has meaning and joy. So I'm asking now, Lord, do what you would. I pray again for Jeff and his family. Strengthen them. I thank you for all the different ministries represented by uh, the different simple and ordinary giving that goes on in this church. Bless those, Lord, who are gathered here today. May they be systematic in their support with time and treasure. And now send your spirit to teach us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the second part of a series of four sermons I'm doing on the Holy Spirit entitled Fake News. And by the way, if you didn't uh, get the announcement, you know Elder Wilson, our General Conference President, will be here next Sabbath. In the afternoon, he's going to make a presentation and take questions and answers at PMC. In the morning, he'll be preaching here and sharing fellowship lunch with us. So please be praying for him as he comes as well. Fake News. You know, I got this packet in the mail, and in this packet... Uh, was supposed new truth. The new truth was that somehow the church had apostatized in believing that the Godhead was composed of three distinct and completely united individuals. The main apostasy was the idea that back in the early 1900s, a man by Leroy Edwin Froome led us down the wrong path in believing that the Holy Spirit was as much a divine person as was Jesus or the Father. Now, what you don't know, and I'm going to tell you this morning, is that uh, God is, you knew this, but you didn't know the story I'm going to tell you, God is always at work. There were two ladies who got in their car last Sabbath 
on the other side of the state, and they were traveling over to Bering Springs. They didn't know where they were going to church, but they did know they were going to link up at some point in time with a member of this church. As they came across the interstate from east to west, guess what subject came up? It was the new truth about the church's apostasy in believing in the Holy Spirit as a third party of equal status in the Godhead. As they're driving across, the one lady's not sure how to respond to the other lady, but it doesn't sound quite right. Now, how do I know this story? I know this story because the lady who was driving the car, who thought it didn't sound quite right, waited until almost the very last person to shake my hand last Sabbath and told me how she believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit led them here for the beginning of this series. The idea that the church has apostatized and that unless you know special truth, you're on the outside, is a great way to leverage somebody to follow you. Fear is a tremendous motivator. I'm here today to disperse as much fear as I can as far away as possible from this congregation. There is a God in heaven who's already paid an eternal price for you. If you want to know the truth, guess who wants to tell you the truth? His name is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is interested in saving souls. And the truth is not going to be found in some dark corner. And we're not going to find out towards the end of the game that somehow we were following uh, cunningly devised fables. We share a variety of doctrines in common with a variety of churches. Because we share them does not make our acceptance of the doctrine suspect. Now, when the lady stood in line to tell me this story, her other friend that she had been talking with along the way was quick to come up and be a very missionary-minded person in regards to the new truth. And she stated how Froome was an infiltrator to our church to give us bad doctrine. Well, I want you to find out for yourself, and here's how I want you to do it. Make a run on the ABC to where they need 500 copies of this book. You read it because it's probably chocked full of more spirit of prophecy statements than any other book I've ever, ever read aside from the spirit of prophecy. And you read it with your Bible and you see if you are not enlightened in a systematic study of the Holy Spirit in a way that just blesses you beyond belief. Now, I've used this book before. And far from being an instrument of evil, this is absolutely a statement of light. And when I think about the fact that this man compiled this book, a systematic study of the Holy Spirit in the age before computers, I stand in awe. God had to have blessed this individual, not because I say so, but because the Spirit itself inhabits the message. So I encourage you, if you've never read The Coming of the Comforter, try to get one. And my hope would be is that they would need to reprint it. This book would bring back so much life into the, whole, into the power of this church that as I quoted last week in the sermon, filled with the Holy Spirit, we would be a terror to our enemies. God bless us to that fact. Now, in the new literature is the suggestion that unless you've got the, the skinny on the new truth, you're going to be on the outside and you'll be duped. Conspiracies are powerful things. As a matter of fact... There's several of them in the Bible. Let's look at them. Lucifer and the war in heaven. He went around in a very underhanded way attempting to form a coup d'etat, telling everybody God wasn't who they thought they were. Be, be fearful when somebody tells you that something that's fairly obvious is no longer obvious, and the real truth can only be learned from that individual. Another conspiracy was in the garden. Eve at the tree. She was taken by surprise. Nobody had ever lied to her before. How about Joseph and his brothers? It was a short-lived one, but uh, while Reuben was away, they said, let's, let's uh, sell him off here. And how about Nehemiah? You know, he's doing a great work, and this was a legitimate conspiracy. Ah, run to the temple. There's a threat on your life. We'll save you. He didn't do it. Daniel in the lion's den, conspiracy or no? You bet it was. It was strategized. Daniel didn't know about it until they were standing on the street corners telling that anybody that prays to any other God except uh, King Nebuchadnezzar 
or the king, I should say, is going to be thrown in the lion's den. And uh, this was a, uh, a real problem for Daniel because this conspiracy was carried out. The little horn of Daniel 7 and 8. Seventh-day Adventism understand that there will be a religious power that will enforce Sunday worship in direct contradiction to the fourth commandment, which says, remember the Lord and worship Him on His Sabbath. But this conspiracy is revealed as well. Esther and Mordecai. We have a whole book of the Bible that's about a conspiracy to destroy a whole group of people. What about Herod and the wise men? He gets them in there, and Herod uh, says, Hey, once you find out, come on back and let me know, and I'll worship with him. It was a lie. It was a hatched plan in secrecy. And how about Paul and the assassins? After Paul had been given bad advice to go in and fulfill a Nazarite vow, he's saved by the Romans, and there are a group of zealots that say they're not going to eat until Paul has been assassinated. But Paul was saved from it. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were constantly plotting the downfall of Jesus. And every single one of these has this in common. They are all conspiracies. They're in the Bible. Now at the very end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you something else they have in common, but we'll have to wait for that. world is flat. Have you ever heard that? Ellen White heard it in her day. When at one time a brother came to me with the message that the world is flat, I was instructed to present the commission that Christ gave to his disciples. Go therefore and teach all nations, and lo, I'm with you even unto the end. In regard to such subjects as the flat world theory, God says to every soul, so what? What does that matter? Follow thou me. I've given you your commission. And then she goes on to say this, Dwell upon the great testing truths for this time, not upon manners that have no bearing upon our work. Every Seventh-day Adventist needs to emblazon this in their brain. Dwell upon the great testing truths for this time. We hold five great testing truths. Sabbath is Saturday, the Bible Sabbath. It was before uh, there was sin. It will be after there is sin. Jesus is coming again visibly, not secretively. It will be every eye that sees him. Some will be glad. Some will be sad. When you die, you're dead. You don't float off to heaven. You don't race into hell. You don't hang in limbo in purgatory. The heavenly sanctuary. After Jesus died and his blood was shed for all the people of the world, he went to heaven where he is now acting as a mediator while the rest of the sin story and the exoneration of his father plays its way out. And lastly but not leastly, there is the great promise of a prophet in our midst and that that prophetic voice would be extra light pointing to the Bible who is the original light. If all were willing, Ellen White writes, all would be filled with the Spirit. Wherever the need of the Spirit is a matter or little thought of, there is seen spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual de declension, and death. On the other hand, if they are connected with Christ, if the gifts of the Spirit are theirs, the poorest and most ignorant of His disciples will have a power that will tell upon hearts. God makes them channels for the outflowing of the highest influence in the universe. Doesn't matter how much education you have. The one education, though, you don't want to be without is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You don't want to be like one of these dead batteries I tried to stick in my Makita drill. You know, God gave you the ability to be filled. You're missing out on a great potential, life more abundantly. Jesus has a plan. Whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church and which would bring all other blessings in his train is lacking, though offered in infinite plenitude. It's the absence of the Spirit that makes the gospel ministry so powerless. Let's hit the brakes. As a church in the last generation, we have tinkered with everything there is to tinker with. We've adjusted the valves. We've played around with all parts of the mechanism. We've tried to find a new way to worship. If it's not the mega church, it's the minor church. If it's not the great colossus, it's the little house. And everything in between, from the message to the music, to the sense that somehow it's all generationally derived, but maybe we need to stop. Maybe right now we're having a crisis of all these winds of doctrine precisely because God's driving us back to the elemental, essential component of a deeper dependence personally and corporately on Him. It's the Spirit 
that make the lack of the Spirit that makes the gospel ministry so powerless. Since when can you take the infinite plentitude of omnipotence and somehow short circuit it and say it doesn't work? Since when? Since the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And since when did the Bible talk about the message preached, and how are they going to know unless someone tells it? Since when can we take the simplest methods, suggest they don't work, and come away feeling that in our education we've achieved some new superior spot of learning? What we need, what I need, what you need, is that every day before I go out into the public, I say, Lord, would you send your spirit into my heart? Would you make me ready for the people I'm going to meet, the people I'm going to serve, the people I'm going to teach, the people I'm going to heal, whatever it might be, the people whose houses I'm going to clean? Please, Lord, take me and raise me up into a pure and holy atmosphere, and may everybody notice that I've been with you. This is where the elemental essential, it's not the corporate organization. It's you and Jesus. And when you don't have time for Jesus, you've missed out on the the power that makes Christianity victor instead of victim to a culture that's running it down. Learning, talent, eloquence, every natural acquired endowment may be possessed. But without the presence of the Spirit of God, no heart will be touched, no sinner won to Christ. I love the story of Gettysburg. Two hours of excellent elocution prior to Abraham Lincoln, and yet a man sitting on a train, penning those those that less than two hundred words. And when it's all said and done, one speaker saying to another, I wish I could have said as much in the two hours I spoke as you did in the few minutes. There, is, there are some things that are so full of the touch and the hand of God that capture so much of what's going on. And sometimes it's not words at all. Ellen White received a letter while she was in Petoskey, Michigan, I believe 1891. I've received your letter dated June 3. In this letter you speak these words. I'm not going to read this whole slide. I'm just going to tell you that Elder Robinson didn't want to send this man out as a pastor, and he had a reason. This was the reason. My idea in reference to the Holy Ghost not being the Spirit of God, which is Christ, but the angel Gabriel. So the world is flat. You thought that was new. Well, the Holy Spirit and controversy around it's not new either. In this case, Brother Chapman, maybe Pastor Chapman, thought that the Holy Spirit wasn't the Spirit of Jesus and wasn't a divine third person of God, Eddie thought the Holy Spirit was Gabriel. Let's read on. My brother, she writes, you've asked me candidly for advice. Please read with attention. He probably did. The nature of the Holy Spirit's a mystery not clearly revealed, and you will never be able to explain it to others because the Lord has not revealed it to you. There are many mysteries which I do not seek to understand or explain. They're too high for me, and they're too high for you. And on some of these points... Silence is golden. Our Lord especially prayed, this is all from the same letter, that His disciples might be united in the closest bonds of Christian fellowship and love as one body under one supreme head. Now the reason Elder Robinson didn't want to send him out and the reason Ellen White is going to remonstrate with him is because his unique ideas would have an effect upon the listeners. It would polarize and divide as well as confuse. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about polarization and division. Is there any of it going on in the world today, yes or no? How about the church, yes or no? Okay. Christ prayed that we would be one even as He is one with His Father. Those thousand references to the prayer of Christ and a desire for unity I've spoken with you about before. It is hard to be united. It is easy to be divided. But Ellen White is going to reveal to us the conspiracy behind the conspiracy. Now these packets that come out are full of conspiracy. And the conspiracy is one that if you want to find your way out of, well, just listen to us. Get on our mailing list. Ellen White, however, reveals a different conspiracy, and that's what I want to talk with you about. This will exist, this unity, only in proportion to the degree of their illumination and sanctification. The more fully they receive the enlightenment of the Spirit, 
the more nearly they will harmonize in their understanding of what is true. I wonder if some of our divisions right now might be able to be directly correlated to our absence of humility to actually listen to each other, which, by the way, is a fruit of the indwelling Christ. Their love, their Christian unity is an evidence to the world that God has sent Jesus to save sinners and with convicting power it testifies that the Word of God is the safe rule of life. When we have a sweet, harmonious togetherness as a body of believers, especially as we approach the end, as the Spirit of the Holy Spirit's withdrawn from the earth, there's going to be evidence that God's in our midst and it's going to be the fact that we're not split, fractured, and splintered like everybody else. Brethren should not feel that it's a virtue to stand apart because they do not see all minor points in exactly the same way. Now, oh, I wish I had the time. I tried to make the time, but I've run out of time. Minor points, matters of minor importance. You want to do a good word study in the writings of Ellen White, choose those phrases. And you're going to find there's a variety of things. If on fundamental truths they are in agreement... They should not differ and dispute about matters of no real importance. Now, I could be offensive here today, and I could create my own list of matters that may not be of real importance by her definition. I'm not going to put my list out on the table for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for the Holy Spirit to show you. Do you have things that are running through your mind? Do you have issues that you feel you have to promote? that might actually have a fracturing component to this church? Because I'm going to tell you, there's a conspiracy behind the conspiracy. There's a lot of fake news out there. And I want to tell you, behind it all, there's the same destabilizing dynamic that the Russians had for the American government. And that is to, to fracture and splinter and set people on edge to where they don't know what is right and what is wrong. Brothers should be very modest in urging these side issues, which often they do not themselves understand, points they do not know to be truth, and that it is not essential to their salvation to know. Now, I'm going to tell you, this phrase is on my pastoral hate list, okay? It's not a salvation issue. Now, usually it gets brought up to me in regards to a conviction of the Holy Spirit and obedience, and I want to tell you, when, when the Holy Spirit impresses on you something that's in harmony with the Scriptures or is clearly pointed out, that's a salvation issue if you don't obey. You don't earn your obedience. You don't earn your salvation by obedience, but you show you're in rebellion against the law of heaven and the Lordship of Christ by disobedience. So when she starts talking about issues not essential to their salvation, she's talking about fights and arguments over things like what is the daily in Daniel chapter 8, which by the way was a major controversy in Adventism a hundred years ago. And she said, look, right there in the heart, Daniel 8.14 is where Adventism gets its original launching pad. Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The sanctuary is at the center. It's our most unique contribution to the the spectrum of theological discussion. And right there in the middle of Daniel 8, she says, listen, quit arguing about what the daily is in Daniel chapter 8, the daily sacrifice. It's a matter of minor importance. There are things we could divide on and the very division themselves might have something to do with whether or not we make it all the way to the pearly gates. Unity, togetherness, cohesiveness, helping each other, loving each other, even liking each other is a part of the Christian journey, a unity of feeling, thought, and action. But there are some things, she says, that are not essential to their salvation. And at some level, we run out of our ability to divine God and to totally understand what three in one is. And she's saying, you don't divide over those things that are beyond me and you. When there's a difference of opinion on such points, the less prominence you give to them, the better it will be for your own spirituality and for the peace and unity that Christ prayed might exist among his brethren. Now, here's one of my most favorite slides in this presentation this morning. By their words and actions, all men will take knowledge of them that they have been with Jesus and learned of him. This is all from the same letter, by the way. And this next sentence, they are a holy, happy people, the objects of Christ's divine love. Do you want to be a holy, happy people? Do you want holy happiness in your home? Jesus said you could be a child of God. He said you may get kicked out of your own family, 
for following me, but don't worry, you'll receive 30, 60, and 100-fold. And in this life, what was he talking about? He was talking about the fact that if you lose your flesh and blood family, you've got a family whose common bond is in me, and they'll love you maybe even more than you were loved in the beginning by the ones who brought you in. You see, we can be a happy, holy family, or we can be angry at each other, and we can let divisions and fragmentation separate us. You know, I have a real burden on my heart. I've learned something over the last several months and years. It bothers me immensely. I didn't say all this in the first service, so I'm going to go a little farther in this service. You know what? There are people that come to this church that might not like you. I'm sure there's some that come that don't like me. And depending on which sermon you came to, the number can go up and down. I don't know. But you know what I found after 30-some years of married life is that feelings come and go, but love is much deeper and stronger. And the feelings that come after you conquer the things that divide you are deeper than the ones you had while the stress was on the relationship. Now, here I go. In this community, there is a lot of negative angst towards our general conference president. And I don't know how much is in this church. And whether you like a position he's taken or not liked it has nothing to do with the integrity of your Christian journey. You are called to love all people, especially the believers. And you are called to not revile or speak evil against anyone, even dignitaries. And Jesus himself will not find himself in an argumentation over even the body of Moses. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I'm here to tell you that it is an absolute repudiation of our Christian profession when we carry around animus in our heart towards anyone, especially a fellow brother or sister, and especially a leader. Dishonesty is the path out of the kingdom. Honesty is the path to the kingdom, and that honesty crucifies us at times that there are roots of bitterness growing in our heart. And I want to tell you something. The scriptures are clear in the book, in the New Testament. We're to let no root of bitterness grow up in our heart. When Paul and Silas had been beaten by the Philippian jailer, they weren't sitting down in the dark cell, locked in the stocks, bruised and bleeding, complaining about how they were Roman citizens and nobody should treat them like that. They were in there singing their love for Jesus, knowing that somehow he was still with them and could fix it if he wanted or needed to. When Paul took that Nazarite vow, it was bad advice. May have come from the general conference president of his day. We know James was probably a part of it and probably some of the other apostles who held Paul largely responsible for the ill will that was held against him because what was he doing out there? Getting all those Gentiles coming into the church. And Paul wanted to make it, he wanted to make us one. So I don't know what's in your heart. But God knows what's in your heart. I know what's in mine sometimes. Sometimes, like David, I'm praying, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And when he shows me something, I have a choice. Deny that I've got a problem or say, Lord Jesus, help me. We're Seventh-day Adventists. We believe that Jesus walks in our midst through the power and the presence of the third person of the Godhead, and he comes and he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Why? So that they can be brought to Christ 
the one who died on the cross, and they can be set free. The only sins that will not be forgiven are the ones that are not admitted, and request is not made for the blood to be applied. Now, if I was a brand new pastor, and I didn't have the confidence of three decades of doing this, I might not be so bold at this moment, but I don't want your blood on my hands. But because I mix in so many environments, it has become clear to me that aside from theological differences, there is actually a not-so-well-hidden contempt. And I'm not okay with that because Jesus is not okay with that. And while I didn't say that in the first service, I'm saying it here. And if it's not true for you, okay. But if it is, take it to Jesus. I want to be a happy, holy family. And I'm not willing to be divided. Not over this subject of the Holy Spirit or any other subject. And I know this. God has invested in the body of the church a collective understanding. Sometimes it's not even been right. But since it is the organized implementation of understanding, rather than leaving us all to do what's right in our own eyes... We've been put together in a family. It's a pod. We're on a journey to the kingdom. I want to be a holy, happy family. Last night, about 3.30 in the morning, I heard somebody driving down my driveway. Now, you need to know where I live. I live at the end of about 1,000 feet of driveway, and there's nothing at the end of the house but my wife and I and my youngest son, David. I sit up in the bed and I say, somebody is pulling in into our driveway. I was alarmed. I said to my wife, somebody is pulling into our driveway. She wasn't alarmed. (laughs) That's because she knew it was my second son and his girlfriend, which I'm so thrilled to have with me. You know what? I'll have a happier, holier Sabbath because they're with me today. I'm just so glad they're here. A happy, holy family object of Christ's divine love. Think about it. God put the world on pause so he could save you, save me, save us. So the devil, he's got a plan. There's a conspiracy behind the conspiracy. Oh, wait a second. Let's go back. They are a happy people, the object of Christ's love. We must beware. Here we go. Here's the conspiracy behind the conspiracy. All right? Conspiracy. If you don't got the inside stories, pardon the bad English, on what happens if you get sucked into the wrong idea that the Holy Spirit's not really a third full person party of the Godhead. But let's watch. Here's the conspiracy behind the conspiracy. We must beware. Lest under the cover of searching for new truth, Satan shall divert our minds from Christ. And what? The special truths for this time. I've been shown that it is the device of the enemy. Here we go. Here's a conspiracy. I've been shown that it's the device of the enemy to lead minds to dwell upon some obscure or unimportant point, something that is not fully revealed or is not essential to our salvation. There's a reason that so many people in the Indiana Conference got these packets. It's because the devil has a plan. He's been watching the prophetic time clock. It's ticking down. They may move the, the atomic uh, doomsday clock every once in a while a few more minutes close to midnight but I want to tell you something there's no better student of Bible prophecy than Lucifer himself and he's paying attention and as it gets closer he's disseminating more and more of this kind of supposed new light because he doesn't want the world being warned and he doesn't want us filled with the Holy Spirit I've been shown that the device of the enemy is to lead minds to dwell upon some obscure, unimportant point, something that's not fully revealed or is not essential to our salvation. Make sure the red is blazoned in your mind. It's important to know there is a conspiracy, and it's Satan trying to steal your eternal life. We must beware 
that Satan will divert our minds from Christ and the special truths for this time. And it's your duty as you come near to the people as you can not to get as far away from them as, you, as possible and by your interpretation make differences that should not exist. Here's the danger of diverting minds from the real issues for this time. I want to tell you there are other issues on the table right now in Adventism that are diverting minds from the real issues of this time. We should be seeking the Holy Spirit with all our heart, mind, and soul. We should be subjugating differences of opinion that are not at the forefront of our five significant understandings of biblical truth that have been given to the Adventist church. Are you not the only one who seems to be moved with ambition? You are not the only one that seems to be moved with ambition in this direction. It would not be right or prudent to send you out as a worker to promulgate your peculiar ideas. This is that letter again. And thus cause division. We have plenty of this now. We want men of solid experience who will anchor minds and not send them adrift without chart or compass. Now, take your Bibles and open them up. I'm not going to go on and on. I know it's one o'clock, but I am going to end on a couple thoughts here. Open them up to Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to talk about two components of Christ's life as we tie this message off. Two components. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. In my Bible, I have any sin circled. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Friends, if you feel guilty because you're doing something wrong, that's a living function of a living God making sure you know He's not dead and He hasn't given up on you. The conviction of sin is the living evidence that God is still trying to reach you. What you can do is turn that voice off and then eternal destiny is not life but it's destruction. But what's more than that is that if you turn it off you get a second-rate life in this life too. Because Jesus said, where I'm present, love exists in its purest forms, and you have life more abundant. Any sin can be forgiven, and blasphemy shall be forgiven, except the one blasphemy, which is finally saying to God, I will not listen anymore. Go away. Now, just to bring you back to last week. There's two problems in this packet that I've seen, and there's probably more. Problem number one is that this packet says that the Holy Spirit is actually just almost, it's almost unadventist in the way it's communicated. You know, we don't believe that there's a soul living in us that got stuffed into us some point in time and flies off to heaven or hell when we die. We don't believe that. We believe you're a living soul when the breath came in and the body came to life and you've got to have both. But it's almost as in this packet that Jesus has one of those things in him and though he went back to earth, it's still down here. That's what this packet asserts. He went back to heaven. Sorry if I said it wrong. He went back to heaven and his spirit stayed right here. Now, I want you to see the contradiction in the text. If Jesus is in heaven mediating for us, which he is, but somehow his soul or his spirit, it never gets defined in here that I can see, is actually what's here, then you really have Jesus there and Jesus here. And there's a big problem with that. Although I have no problem with it, you can reconcile it very easy that Jesus represented the Father and the Holy Spirit represents Jesus and they're all the Godhead. But let's look at the text. Verse 32, we've just been told that any sin and any blasphemy can be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now I want to tell you something. If Jesus is in heaven, and somehow his disembodied spirit, if I could say that way, is on earth, 
then if you sin against his spirit here, you really sin against him. It's, it's impossible to reconcile these two things. They don't make sense. If they're all one person, they don't make sense. But if Jesus actually was followed by the third person of the Godhead who is making the cross efficacious, if it's taking the cross and making it work, if it's taking the attributes of the love of God and the salvation paid for on the cross and applying it to our lives and seeking us out by one, then it works just fine because you could reject Christ in his lifetime. You could even have been there at the foot of the cross. You could have been a Roman soldier. And even though you were part of nailing him to the tree, even though you you cursed and reviled him as a thief on the cross, you could be forgiven. But if throughout your life you tune out the voice of God and say, no, there is no forgiveness. And the last thing I want to say is this. Is that in this packet... Because the Holy Spirit is really, really Jesus. If you say there's a third person in the Godhead, you're taking something away from Jesus, they say. That's his ministry. But let's get really elemental for a second, could we? I won't look it up. But in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I won't leave you as what? Orphans. Why did he say that? Why did Jesus say he wouldn't leave us as orphans? Well, come back. Look at the first line. Christ could not be where? In every place personally. Does anybody here know why? Yeah. He's the God-man. He's human and divine. But his humanity is retained in eternity. He is no longer omni-what? Why? Because He loved you so much. You and I will never know what it means to go from being omnipresent to being only present in one place. But I'm going to tell you something. When you say that it's, a, that it's taking something away from Jesus to have the third person of God. And I'm going to tell you something. When you suggest that Jesus can be there and there at the same time, you're the one that's robbing Jesus because Jesus gave up an amazing amount to come and become one of us and to save you. The real robbery to Christ is when you deny the greatness of the surrender of omnipresence for your salvation. Now, Let's go back over that list of all those conspiracies and see if there's one more thing that's in common. You got them in your head? Satan, Adam and Eve in the garden, Joseph, Daniel, Daniel 8, Esther, Paul, Jesus and the Sadducees. They all share one thing in common except one of them. Every single one of those conspiracies where somebody desired to be saved, they had the opportunity to be saved from evil people plotting their ruin. Except one. And do you know who that one was? Jesus. There was a conspiracy hatched against Jesus. It started millennia ago in heaven. The devil never the devil came to the place where he didn't even know who God was. Jesus came to this earth impoverished, without social status and standing. He was constantly plagued by evil people who wanted to trap him, and he walked all the way into their trap. He hung on a cross because they had connived and concocted and created a web full of poison to destroy him, an innocent man. But I want you to know something. The old man, Daniel, when he heard them reading the scroll, that anybody that prays to any other god except the god of Babylon, the king, He was delivered. 
and so was Esther, and so was Joseph, and so was Paul, and so will you be. I'm going to tell you, there will be and there are legitimate conspiracies, but you know something? Not a one of them is beyond the purview of the God of heaven. And no matter what happens to me or you, the limits of what they can do is not set by themselves. God will be glorified in my life and your life. And as He lives in me through the power of the Holy Spirit, as He lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you are called to suffer or lay down your life, whether it's going into a lion's den or a Philippian jail, whether it's being betrayed by your countrymen or your fellow church members, you need to remember something. There's no such thing as an ability to get your, your idea over on God. Anywhere with Jesus, you can safely go. And there is nothing that's going to happen to you that He hasn't allowed. But I'm going to tell you this. There is a conspiracy out there, and right now it's working. So I'd like to ask you to make a decision to help me stop it. Nothing can be allowed to divide us. We must present these great truths which liberate the soul, glorify the Father, glorify the Son, and glorify the Holy Spirit. And on the way, they actually bring honor to the ones who share them. The conspiracy behind the conspiracies is to shut down these three angels' messages so the world doesn't know, so it's not lighted up with His glory, so that people can decide. When the door of probation closes, what's closing is the opportunity to know who God really is and to take advantage of the privilege of coming safe inside the sanctuary of the friendship of Christ. Oh, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out in a mighty way. And minor matters are part of the conspiracy. It could be something you love to do that you're afraid the Holy Spirit's going to ask you to give up. I don't know. But friends, whether it's a theological doctrine or a pet idol, I'm appealing to you. Let the power of God set you free. And may we collectively be set free so this great gospel message can go forward as a happy, holy people proclaim the greatest truths that have ever been told. Amen.
Jesus the Lamb. Jesus the Lamb. For sinners slain. For sinners slain. Thus I would go on missions of mercy, following Christ from day unto day, cheering the faith and raising the lost to Jesus the way going afar going afar upon the mountain upon the mountain bringing the water bringing the water back again back again into the fold into the fold of my redeemer of my Jesus the Lamb for sinners slain, for sinners slain. Father, make us a happy, holy people, loved as the objects of heaven, children. I'm praying, Lord, that you would cleanse us from pride of opinion. Cleanse us, Lord, from any root of bitterness. Cleanse us from any work of division and save us, Lord. Give us enough humility. Recognize, Lord, that we must be subject to Christ and subject to one another. And oh, how I'm praying, Lord, set us free so that the great testing truths for this time can be proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bring us back to life, Lord, and may souls be won and many sons and daughters be led to glory. This is what I'm praying for, Lord. Forgive us when matters of minor attention from wasted hours on the internet to pursuing American or other dreams. And may we find forgiveness that we've neglected or even scorned the work of this great institution that you've raised up in sacrifice. And I'm praying, Lord, come back in amongst us. Dwell amongst us. May we let you do the work individually. May we prioritize our corporate gatherings. And I pray, Lord, make us a happy, holy, cross-generational people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.